Hey, God Watch people, it's Phil Gothier again with the God Watch podcast. I'm so happy to bring to you a show again from First West in Battle Creek, Michigan. As you guys know, First West has supported us a lot along the way and helping us locate some people, and they have treated us so fantastic when we've been out there. And I know one of the things that First West says is that they are a church for Battle Creek. That is true, and I think that they're a great example of a church that is great for everybody. So again, thank you to First West for being so wonderful to us while we were out there. I feel fortunate to bring to you guys a show this week from a woman named Carol Daniels. And Carol has a huge heart for God. In the ups and downs she's going to discuss with us, there were times that were difficult, but God always brought her back up. And so please sit back and enjoy Carol Daniels. Carol, thank you so much for taking some time and coming and sitting down with us. We are at First West again. They have allowed us to use the facility and we can't thank them enough. So thank you so much for being here with us and I'm really excited to hear your story. So when we hear from you, what is the important things that we need to know about you, to know, know where you were, to know where you're going? I had started attending church back in 1999, and I had went to a church for quite a while that kind of just was not spiritually what I needed. So okay. I started going to different churches. I also had several autoimmune diseases and a lot of deaths along the way. And with the stress of the deaths that I had in my family, I had a really bad flare of rheumatoid arthritis. So it was very difficult for me to drive to the church that we were going to. So I started praying and I felt God told me to go to First West. And I questioned God, why would I go there? I've done been there, went there once. It wasn't what I wanted. Why would I do that? I kept praying. God kept saying First West. So I came to First West and I really liked the environment. I loved the sermon that I heard that day. I set up an appointment with the spiritual pastor and I met with him and he was really shocked to see me come back. He did not expect me to come back to this church after he heard my story and everything that I was going through with my health, the, the questions I had about my spiritual journey, where was I supposed to be, where did God want me? I continued to come, I continued to grow spiritually. I was baptized on April 17th of 2016. I really gave everything to Jesus before I was baptized. Yeah. And I, I look back and I listen to that and I think like he's surprised, you know, he's surprised that you came back. You know, I'm going to tell you, I don't make it out here all that often. But every time that I do, it's welcoming, it's cheerful. There's good, honest sermons being given, which sometimes might be something that you don't always want to hear, but you need to. You know, and so I, I would say that if I lived here... I would have no quarrels about attending here. 
And so, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it's interesting that somebody would say, I didn't expect you to come back. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, so now if we step back, though, I mean, dealing with the, I mean, we just blew past them. You got some illnesses, you're struggling with some deaths. What's your, what's your faith like when you're facing this hardship like that? I mean, is that kind of when you, when you alluded to the idea that you kind of didn't know where your faith was going? Is that kind of... Yes. Yeah, I felt judged. Um, I felt unaccepted by other churches. Yeah. Um, very much judged, unforgiven. So it was it was a very heavy weight that I was carrying that I didn't have to carry. I just didn't realize that at the time. You know, and that's it's so. You know, I, I've done a couple. I've done a couple shows today. And in one of them, we were, we were talking about some of our family and different things like that. And, and I struggled with a brother who is not in faith and feels judged, you know. And, and me trying to institute this idea that it's not my job to judge this world. It's not my job to judge anybody. It's... it's you know, in the church, there's some responsibility that we have for our, our close people to say, hey, maybe I see some sin that we need to work on. But it should be from a place of love, not judgment, right? I agree. And so those, those ideas that we're judged, those are, that's not positive, right? And so, so you're experiencing that, and then you start to see this freedom that you can have, right? Oh, yes. So how did that change your relationship? How did that change your mindset? It helped me to realize how much shame I had carried over the years of what other people had done to me and how I had not forgiven them. And that was keeping me from having a wholehearted, relationship with God. Yeah. It was keeping me from being everything that God wanted me to be. And so my baptism, it was, a, it was much more for me than just a baptism. I wanted to be sure that I forgave where I needed to forgive, and I sought forgiveness where I needed to be forgiven. So that when I was baptized, I truly left all of that in the water. You really are this new creation washed clean as snow, right? Yes. And so I think that that idea of forgiveness is so critical too because have you, have you ever heard, um, you know, holding on, holding on to that anger and those things that come with that is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You know, the only person you're going to hurt is yourself. And I think that, you know, I've been hurt and I felt you know, without knowing more specifics, you know, I don't want to always relate what I have into the, my, my thing is as bad as yours, you know, but we all have a time in our lives where we have maybe felt this anger or this hurt or shame and we can't hang on to that because it just eats us, you yes, know, it does. and so... What did that travel into your other relationships in life too? Oh yes, yes it did. I had a lot of broken relationships. Um, 
I have been married for 22 years. Okay. My mother-in-law, I, she asked me to come to Florida to help them with some things, so I went down there. And she said, you're different. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you are so happy. And you used to be very angry. You just looked so angry and miserable. And you look full of joy and full of happiness now. And that was great to hear. And it was from someone that had walked through a lot of things with me. Yeah, somebody who knows knows your ins and outs, right? And so the fact that, you know, I know sometimes it's kind of corny to think about God's love is overflowing and it's this visual thing. But when you can look at somebody and the only, the only thing that's changed in their situation is Jesus. Yes. And now you exude joy. What else could be happening? You know what I mean? It's, yes. it's, it's a whole different approach to life. And it's almost like it gives us life. Do you know what I mean? Because I know that in the past I felt like I was just kind of, I look back and it was like I had a blindfold on and I was just running. And then all of a sudden I can see the world and I can see what's happening and I can just stop and put my arms out and just feel everything that's around me, you know, and in a way that I never could before. And so, in, in building those relationships, what did you think? I mean, do you attribute that to your faith? Do you, I mean, what, what are those steps that you took to learn how to forgive, to accept joy, to probably accept love in some manner? You know, to, what, are, what are those steps and how did that look like for you to get there? I think meeting with our spiritual pastor and connecting with uh, Pastor Shannon and being honest and sharing some things that have happened in my life and where I'm at and questioning scripture, looking at scripture and um, filling myself with God's word, filling myself with God's songs, reading about his works and believing that I am loved and I am forgivable. No matter what I do, God will love me yeah. and God will forgive me. And no matter what someone else has done to me, I can forgive them because God forgave me and without my forgiveness, I'm not forgiven. And I think that I even have people in my life who struggle with forgiveness. They hold on to that. And I've never, I don't understand why. Because forgiveness doesn't mean forget, right? Correct. Forgiveness just means I'm not gonna hold it over myself anymore, pretty much. When you're starting to take these steps in forgiveness, but yet still remembering the hurt or the pain or the, you know not forgetting and you know it doesn't mean that that relationship is now full you know that relationship may for good reason never exist again but the idea of forgiveness how did you work through that like I mean you, you read the Bible you figured you trusted in God's word but how did you make that a reality in your life 
Do you know what I mean? Like how, how did that become a tangible experience for you? Going through some very traumatic things mm-hmm. in my life, there are, will always be triggers. There will always be memories of those things. And it's very easy to get caught up in flashbacks and memories and become angry all over again. And to even think you didn't deserve the forgiveness I gave you to begin with and take it back. And you just have to find it within yourself to see what you're doing to yourself. Yeah. Hanging on to all of that. You're not hurting that person. You're drinking you're poison hurting and you're expecting them to get hurt. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And vengeance is the Lord's. It really truly is the Lord's. And to let that go and forgive that person, God's going to do to them more than you ever could. And you really aren't doing anything to them by yeah. being angry and bitter. You're just doing things to yourself. I think that the sometimes the the victim side of forgiveness knowing that that person has been forgiven coming from the from the opposite side of it knowing that the forgiveness has been given it replicates what Jesus does for us because I think that I've, I've ran into a lot of people. You know, you, you discuss somebody who is not of faith, and sometimes you'll hear that, you don't know what I've done. You know, oh, I'm, you're too far gone. Oh, you know, I'll never be forgiven for these things that I have done. But if we as failed, flawed humans can offer forgiveness, think about what a God can do. Right? Yeah. Think about what God in his glory can forgive. Can forgive everything. And and I think that you using that as an example shows people that the God that created heaven and earth can forgive us for whatever transgression we bring before him. You know, and it's not always pleasant to think about that somebody who commits a crime, does some heinous act, can be forgiven because they're going to stand by and be judged in the same light as somebody who has loved God and walked that path their whole life. But at the end of the day, how do we weigh our sins, right? Yes. And, And I'm fortunate that God weighs sins equally because if he stomped out one sin, he would have to stomp out all sin, which would be me. I'm a sinful, broken creature. And, it's, yeah. and it all starts with that idea of forgiveness because how can we approach a God that doesn't... How, could, how can we look at him and expect forgiveness for somebody who's perfect, right? But yet it's offered for free. And so that, that's a way I think that we as people can, can show the world God in an amazing way. Because how often does the world say, hold on to that? Hold on to that anger. You'll be able to get them later. Just 
don't forget, you know, yeah. don't let it happen again, you know. I'm guilty of doing that over the years too, you know, give it to God and take it back, give it to God and take it back. And that's part of walking in faith and forgiveness is daily connection with God. Yeah. And not taking the things back, really laying it at the feet of Jesus and leaving it there. So, so I, I would assume from that that your daily connection with, with Jesus has become more, right? Yes. So what does a day look like for you now? I mean, when you, when you wake up and, and go throughout your day, do you have consistent times where you are praying, journaling, reading? Like, is, it, is there a routine to that for you? Um, yes. When I get up in the morning, I spend 15 minutes praying. Mm -hmm. um, I have different Bible studies that I do. And so I'll read the Bible study and read the Bible. Um, I talk with my daughter and my husband. We connect each day. We've just got done doing um, God at Home series here at First West. We've done that as a family. And that's been very helpful for us to connect with each other. And working in the church has been amazing because you can pray anytime you want to. <laughs> you can ask a coworker to pray with you any time of the day. It's really awesome to be able to do that. Yeah. And and that's got to be something different, you know, because you talk with, you know, in doing what I do, I meet people from all walks of life. You know what I mean? Most, most people that I interview are not actually staff at church. I think uh, you might, I think I interviewed one pastor a while ago and we had him on the show and you. And so generally, they're people who don't get to experience God as daily as you guys. And so... I think that there's got to be something great to that, though. And, yes, there is. You know, and then also, like, one of the things that I think, you know, I've talked about I find joy in, and, and I've noticed that other people have shared that, too, is the fact that we are sometimes stuck with people who are not believers, right? Yes. We're in this trapped environment where we have to minister. We have to, we have to conduct ourselves godly so that I mean not that it's fake but so that we represent our God and our faith well and and keep that as a conscious thing do you think that working in a church there's still you know I've worked four churches but I've never gone nine to five inside of a building is there still like an outreach kind of thing that you can do within within the church like the same do you have to pretty much step out and find a different way to to connect with people in the world you know does that make sense to you do you know what i'm getting at like i have a coworker. i have to i'm fortunate enough that i can show my love for god to somebody who doesn't but you're surrounded by people who love god all day and so how does that work in dynamic we um are a church for Battle Creek. So we are constantly trying to connect with community. So mm -hmm. there's many things that we do to connect with people outside of the church nice. and do community stuff to be involved within the community, such as the car seat giveaway, okay. um, the backpack bash, 
What's what's so I figured assume the car seat giveaway you give away car seats. What's yes. the backpack bash? Um the backpack bash we have before school kicks off. Okay. And we give out backpacks to okay. kids for school. They have um some supplies in there and it's amazing to connect with these families and be able to pass out these backpacks. And last year was our second year and I was fortunate enough to be at the same station I was the year before. So to see faces that I had seen the year before and connect again. The same people returning. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, not being from Battle Creek, I've never, I think this is my third visit to Battle Creek ever, but it's a very diverse community. There is some affluent areas and some areas that are not so much, right? Yes. And so I think that there's probably a ton of room for you guys to work then, right? I mean, you can you can have a little bit of financial support to be able to do outreach. There's plenty of people that need that support and that outreach. And so you have your own little mission field. What? Yes. 20 miles square, I don't know, however big Battle Creek is, and so that's got to be, I, you know, I come up with that question, but I never really contemplated how much you guys really do out, and because your sign says a church for Battle Creek. Correct. Because it used to be different, didn't it? Yes, it Didn't was. it recently change? Because I was driving down the yes. road, and I thought, I was like, oh, I've been here before, and I was like, I think that's it, and I looked, and it, it says First West in extremely small print yes. on the bottom, so... The Church for Battle Creek is our logo, okay. and we just want that to be the focus more than the name of our church, Yeah. because it's important to us to connect with our community and make a difference in other people, especially a non-believer's life. Yeah, you know, and that's, I think that that's the, reaching non-believers is such a, a tricky situation at times. Right? Yes. Because we have to balance that. How much is too much? Right? And, you know, and knowing what is acceptable with some people might not be acceptable with others because as much as within the church, we have a vast difference of people. Outside, we have, you know, maybe within the church, we have people who are new to their faith, the people who are... I think everybody knows one of those older ladies, gentlemen, who just exudes God and they just walk in and the room almost fills with happiness, you know, and I, I love them. But then when you step out in the world, you kind of get that same, but from a different area, you get the people who are very adamantly opposed to religion mm -hmm. and you get people who are really close, right? Maybe they have this foundation, but they just, still walking that fine line and knowing where where to meet those people because I think that that's I mean I hope that you know it's not stepping over you know on what they do but there's meeting people where they're at is so important mm -hmm. you know and, and everybody is so different and so I mean so you're giving away these backpacks you're doing these things what other what other things have you enjoyed doing ministry wise um, leading a small group. Okay, so you're small. That's group been leader. very helpful for me. That gives me, I, that, I feel that I have to 
be a good example. Yeah. And be able to go in and say, I read this and, you know, talk about what I've read through the week. So I have to be the one that's, that's presented. Oh, yes, yeah. that I present it and talk about it. And that way I have a reason, but more than myself, I have these other ladies that I'm reading the study to be able to teach it. And I laugh because I, I lead a small group as well. And I always think that it's, uh, I tell people I do it selfishly. Because you know what? I am not fantastic about being in the Word every day, right? Yes. I'm not fantastic about, about keeping up on all these things. And so if I'm leading a small group, I have to read. I have to study. Maybe I have to go online and listen to some random sermon that I can find and, and pick bits and pieces of little gold out of somebody else's ideas. But I have to be surrounded by it. And so selfishly, I lead a small group, yes. right? And, and I think that that's one of the reasons why I, I wanted to, when our church approached us about it, I wanted to because you know what? I needed to read more. I know what I need to do, but it's a matter of doing it. Has the city accepted? I mean, have you guys seen a big influx of people coming and using the facility and using your, your uh, charitable events? Yes, we have. Yeah, we um, also done Treat the Creek, and there were approximately 3,000 oh. people that came for Is that, that. And that was the Halloween? Mm -hmm. okay. Yes, it was. And then um, the car seat giveaway, we gave away approximately 30 car seats total, and it poured the rain that day. <laughs> and people patiently sat in the pouring rain waiting to get the, their car seat checked in a car seat replacement if it was needed. That's just how God works sometimes. You know what I mean? And, and patience. I think that we lack patience a lot of times, right? God requires us to be patient. You know, you think about, think about all the things in life that happen. They happen on God's time, not ours, yes. right? Because if we wanted yes. it, we would have it boom, boom, boom yesterday. But yet, God's plan isn't for today. It isn't for tomorrow. It might not even be for a year from now. You know, you look at all, you look at all of these men and women that were in the Bible. They waited lifetimes yes. for God to show up and, and fulfill those promises. He always fulfilled His promise, but it didn't happen on their time frame. You know, and I don't, I don't know. You know, in in thinking and kind of contemplating on on some of the things that are going on in life, I think that it's so. This God that has existed now, tomorrow, forever, is the same. It's the same, the same God who loves us. It's the same God who walked with Mary, who walked with David, who, you know, all of these biblical figures that we get to see, it's the same God who loves us and makes promises to keep us safe and keep yes. us under his care. And, you know, who are, who are we? We're just people. He's God, you know, and... That's, when they, um, when I was asked to lead a small group, I'm like, why would you want me to lead a small group? I'm so unworthy. I'm not knowledgeable enough. And it's not about the knowledge. Yeah. You can learn that along the way. Having the faith 
and the love for God and being able to share his love with others as you study his word is very important. You know, and, and it's, it's funny because when I, when I look back, I could be more knowledgeable in my faith, right? I don't have a traditional ministry background. I didn't go to school for it. I'm not extremely well-versed. I'm not just going to pick out, you know, oh, John 7. You know, it just, I don't, it doesn't come to my mind. But I have a deep understanding for the character of God. And honestly, I would rather feel that any day. I can learn the Bible. Yes. I can learn those things. But to understand, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of what I'm hearing you say too. Yes. So understanding that character of God is, is so vital because without that, with all that head knowledge and none of that heart, it doesn't mean anything. That is so true. You know, and, and so when you, when you look back on, on your walk then, I mean, being baptized in 2016, when did you really make that transition from to know God and to, to kind of lay down? When, when did God become this real person who walks with you, I guess? I mean, has that, has that been a long time in the coming, you know, a long time coming, or? It has been um, a long time coming. Um, as I said, I, I started going to church in 1999 yeah. and worked with the preschoolers, worked with the middle schoolers, worked with the high schoolers, worked with women's ministry. I was really good at listening to other people, praying with other people, helping other people. I wasn't good at looking at me and what I had been through and what I needed to forgive and what I needed to be forgiven for. So I didn't accept that God wholeheartedly, unconditionally loved me no matter what. Yeah, kind of what we were talking about. Yes, and all I had to ask for was forgiveness. Yeah, I think that that relays over to everybody's walk in one way or another because for me I didn't dive it sounds like you kind of came to a church you found it and then you just dove in I'm gonna work with the kids and I'm gonna do this Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna do that my walk wasn't like that I spent years kind of feeling out God you know and walking forward and stepping backwards and walking forwards and screwing up and making a mess of my life still, you know, and and getting to a place where I could finally just say, I surrender all of this to you, you know, and and even though maybe you were doing it within the confines of the church, you still were Mm -hmm. struggling with those ideas of forgiveness and stepping forward. And uh, now looking back, I think that being involved in a church when I was moving forward and backwards, it probably would have helped support me more because I could have been surrounded by godly people who could have helped with direction. You know, whether me being a hard-headed kid, I would have taken that direction or not is a different story. But maybe I would have progressed in my faith faster, right? Maybe I could have have had that extra support. So I think that anybody, maybe who's early in their walk, shouldn't 
be distressed by the idea that they're not just overnight flip the switch showered with God's blessings, right? Correct. We learn. We we walk slowly. And you know, it's a matter of, of figuring out sounds like you did it, self reflection, right? Yes. Where do we need to be and and what do we need the image of ourselves to be, right? And I hope that, you know, when I look at it, what do, what do I want the image of myself to be? Jesus, yes. right? Isn't that what we all hope for? And did you have somebody who modeled that for you or were you mainly taking that from scripture? I was taking it from scripture and um, songs, a lot of songs, but scripture was really helpful. I would take um, like a Psalm and make it my story. I would put my name in there. Okay. And I would read it like it was me that this had happened to. And then I'd done a lot of journaling and tried to write out things that I needed to address that had happened to me. Um, I don't know how much detail you want on that. You let me know. I'm comfortable with anything that you are comfortable with. I mean, okay. and this show is not... Uh, it's not G-rated, right? Okay. I mean, there's, if if uh, if we get to a place that maybe is not appropriate for kids, I'll put a disclaimer out in the okay. beginning and let them know. So my goal is for you not to be uncomfortable. So I will never okay. press you farther than you would like to go. All right, so thank you for that. As far as we go is as far as you want. Okay. So um, when I was 14, I was raped. That man gave me chlamydia. As a result of that, I had a lot of surgeries, um, trying to have kids, infertility treatments. Um, was they were not successful. We did, we were not able to have our own children. I did adopt two girls, and I just I praise God for that. As silly as that sounds, because I wouldn't have these girls if all of that did not happen, and. As painful as it may have been at that time, I'm grateful for where it has gotten me. Because you've been able to build a beautiful, yes. wonderful family. Yes. It would not have been the same unit any other way. Correct. Yeah. But I was very angry for a really, really long time. My family was not aware of what had happened. And my mom had died. I had, my mom died in June, in December, I had a complete hysterectomy, so my hormones were all over the place. Yeah. My dad let the man, who he did not know, rape me, borrow my mom's electric wheelchair, and that just pushed me over the edge, and I just went ballistic on my dad, and this, th this man died of cirrhosis of the liver. From alcohol abuse? Yes, yep. So after his death, I told my dad what had happened and what I was so angry about. And that was 20 years so, that I carried that yeah. secret and, and so did not share it. Roughly right before you started coming into your faith then? Yes. I mean, I couldn't imagine the innocence 
of a 14-year-old, right? And, and having to bear a burden like that by yourself, you know, I, I think that one of the things that is wonderful about being in faith is that we don't bear these burdens alone, right? Correct. Even if we're not vocalizing them to the people around us, we can share them with God. We're never yes. alone. But, you know, being somebody, I wasn't in faith when I was young, I bared those burdens alone. You know, I didn't want my parents to know. I was ashamed of, you know, yes. of, of addictions and of abuse and different things like that for me. I mean, mine, mine weren't in sexual manners, but I mean, there's still those burdens you carry alone. And I mean, that's, especially now, how old are your kids grown now or? Um, 23 and 16. Oh, those are grown. Mine are, yeah. mine are young. But yeah. you know, and, and you look back at, at those, you look back at your children now and you say, how, I would never want my child to think that they had to bear the burdens of the things that I went through. If they, I hope they never experience them, but if they do, they will never be alone, right? And I don't know why in my mind, I thought I had to be alone. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I've, I still have never come to terms with that. And I don't think it's something that I need to know, you know, and, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a difficult place to be. It is, and the shame that yeah. you put on yourself and being too embarrassed to share that, afraid of what people are going to think of you, is really difficult to understand. You know, and as, as sad as it is, in, in my case, I've been on both sides. I have been the one who was victimized at times, you know, whether it's physical or emotional. But on the flip side, there was people that I was very mean to, right? Yes. Physically and emotionally. And at one time I went through and I, I tried to make a list of people that I did wrong to. And I really wanted to, I didn't know what it was gonna look like. Maybe it didn't look like a typical apology, but in my mind, I wanted to know that these people were okay. You know, and it's, maybe it's silly because when we're 16 years old, somebody does you wrong, you're gonna grow up to be an adult. You're yes. gonna get a job, you're gonna, you're gonna do these things. But for whatever reason, I was drawn to trying to figure out what these people were doing. There was just a couple of them that came to mind. And I called this guy and he said, hey, I haven't talked to you for a long time. You know, I graduated high school in 99. I haven't talked to these people since high school and you know maybe it was 15 years later I haven't really talked to him since of course you know social media everybody's somewhat connected anymore but so I talked to this guy and I'm, I'm telling him hey you know I know I wasn't always the best to you he's like what are you talking about he had no recollection of me treating him ill but I held you on to remembered that for every 15 detail of it. years. Wow. And so where he just proceeded with his life, my negativity towards him affected my life in, in wondering how I hurt him. But he didn't even know. It's just amazing to me the things we as people hold on to and how 
we prioritize certain things. You know, for me, I prioritize these things that weren't a priority to anybody. And I think that coming into faith, we rearrange our priorities, right? Yes. We want our priorities to line up with the gospel, to line up with the church. And so once those priorities are met, we live a productive life, right? Yes, and we do. The Bible is not, you know, you talk to people, the Bible is this book of rules. Well, it's not a book of rules. It's a book of guidelines that have more freedom in it than it has things that keep you from, you know, having this traditional rule set. Correct. It's, it's there to keep us safe, not confine us. And it took me a long time to get there. Yes, I agree. And the freedom. Yeah. That's, you're not free until you can let go of all of the past and things that are keeping you from making God the center of your life. How did you get there? I mean, I just, I think when me and my wife, we, we wanted to have child children after we were married and we struggled with infertility um, as well. We, we struggled to conceive a child. And I was really angry. And I didn't even have a, a situation to be angry towards. And I found myself lashing out at God. And it wasn't his desire. Maybe it was a time. I'm blessed with two beautiful boys now, right? And, and eventually, I had to be patient. And, and I, I received these blessings. But at the time... I mean, I called pastors and I talked to them and I was like, wow, you know, 15-year-old people are having kids every day and they can't care for them and I'm an adult and I'm, I can do this. And I, I was bitter about it. Um, how did you get to the point where you could accept? Because for me, I finally was, I finally conceived a kid. And I don't know, I don't know that I ever received a stillness until then. My, oh, let me see. We had gone through many, many surgeries, way too many surgeries. So I'd had more surgeries than I ever wanted. Um, the shots, the roller coaster ride of the hormones to go along with that. Scheduled sex because you're on these fertility drugs and you have to do it in alignment with your Super ovulation. Romantic, oh right? yeah, so romantic. <laughs> and uh, we, so we were at the point of in vitro fertilization, mm -hmm. and my husband's like, I think we need to go for it. And I said I would rather remodel the kitchen. And he's like, What? I would rather remodel the kitchen because yeah. if we done that and I conceived. And then I have a miscarriage. I would emotionally lose my mind. Yeah. I'm not emotionally capable of handling that. If we conceived and something's wrong with the baby, I'm going to blame myself. I think for me, that was crossing over God's line. And that's when I said, you know, that's, we're, we're done. I'm not going to do this. Yeah. My husband, um, well, both of us actually, both of us were married before. Um, his wife was pregnant when they separated. She was born in April and they were divorced that summer, I do believe. 
So he had a daughter with a previous marriage, and she was born in 1994. He and I were married in 1995, and when his daughter was seven, we learned that there was drug abuse going on, and we got custody of his daughter, and then we became foster parents. So I adopted his biological child, and we adopted the foster child yeah. that we took in. And had I not gone through the things that I have gone through in my lifetime, I wouldn't understand what these girls have gone through as well as I do. You know, and I mean, it's kind of a, an unconventional family dynamic, but how did... So I come from a family of steps, right? I have mm -hmm. stepdads and stepmoms and, you know, both of my parents have been married multiple times and that's an odd dynamic. What is it like from, I have, I've had good relationship with step-parents. I've had bad relationship with step-parents. I think there's boundaries in there that are never solid, especially when you're dealing yes. with a kid that wants you to be close one minute and far the next. What is that dynamic like? And now now that you said 16 and 20, is that right? 23. 23. So she's grown now, right? And so, I mean, there, you can kind of look back on it maybe with a little bit of more ease than being in the moment. What was that step-parent thing like? Was it, is it, as a kid, it's difficult. As a parent, I imagine it's difficult as well. It was a lot of fun to be the step-parent. So when she would come for the weekends or the summer, and then she would go home, and then all of a sudden, she's with us all the time. This is my, pre-7? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My husband comes home from work, and he's like, let's go out and get a donut. And I said, we can't. And he's like, why? I said, your daughter is sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> so we weren't used to that. We, we had accepted that we didn't have kids and we were free to come and go and do whatever we wanted no matter what time. And that changed really quickly, unexpectedly. So that was really I'm different. Sure. And then Amanda was 12 when Caitlin came to live with us. Caitlin okay. was six. Okay. And that was... Did it blend? nicely or was there some rocky patches? No, it did not blend nicely. There's a lot of rocky patches. Yeah. yeah. A lot of rocky patches. You know, I have I have quite a few friends that work within the foster care system and um it's interesting, you know, sometimes they'll get siblings, sometimes they'll get kids from separate families and to see I, I realize not all foster kids are the same. But a lot of them that I have noticed, they bring a baggage from whatever reason they were put into the foster system. You know, kind of like what we were talking about a minute yes. ago. With that idea that we bear the sole burden for whatever's happened in our lives. And if you take somebody who maybe they're, uh, maybe they weren't shown love. Maybe they were told you have to perform a certain way you know what you're a kid be a kid you know yes. you don't need adult qualities yet and with them not understanding that sometimes it's it's been interesting to see these you know especially kids from different families mm -hmm. they come together in this foster home and there's 
they bring both of their baggage and that headstrongness and the idea of, well, how long am I going to be here for? You know, and, yeah. then, and even when some of these friends have told them, you can be here until you don't want to be here. You can be here forever. They don't believe you. No. Caitlin has been with us 10 years, and she's adopted. We adopted her in 2008, and she still doesn't believe that I'm not going to give her away. See, and that's crazy, you know. I mean, because I imagine in, in going what you've gone through and having raised a daughter and done these things, that there is affection there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the idea, same, it's funny how you can look back and, and no ma even though the situation changes, the trauma changes, it leads to the same problem. You know what I mean? And, yes. And having her, no matter how many times you might tell her you love her, no matter how many times you're, this is your forever home and you love her, there is that, that baggage that weighs that you can't get away from. And I think that God is what got rid of that for me. Jesus yes. got rid of that for me. He released me of that baggage. And I carried around this, I think as men and women, maybe we, we sometimes approach worlds differently, right? But I approached with this idea of masculinity, right? I always overcompensated for my lack of structure or stability or these things with this idea of masculinity. What that drove me to be aggressive towards other kids, mm -hmm. which later I came mm -hmm. back to regret, to, you know, to do these things that were not great. But when I look back, that was an overarching theme that happened all throughout my yes. life, yeah. whether it was in competitions, in relationships, you know, with, uh, you know, other male relationships, I always wanted to be the, the most macho guy there, right? And what did it take to re relinquish me and to open my eyes that that is not who I am? It was my faith. So, you know, I guess, you know, my, my prayer would be that she would just accept love for what love is yes you know but it's sometimes it's so much easier said than done it is <laughs> it is and to have that 16 year old mind i've never with been in the mind of a 16 year old yeah. girl I, I'm, and i'm glad yeah <laughs> it's like oh boy 16 is hard enough to put all that baggage with it and then trying to have faith and trust in god and to give all that to god at 16 and know that he loves you unconditionally and you are his child. No one else's but his. Yeah. You, you were married. You said so you were married before mm -hmm. you came to know Christ. When, you know, you said your mother-in-law made a comment on how you have changed. How did that change? Was your husband churched? Is your husband churched? Um, my husband is churched. He was churched. He was raised in church. He was okay. baptized um, growing up. And I've, his faith has changed a lot, too. Since we have came to First West, um, he joined a small group, which um, is very much outside his box. A he's not as so, yeah, he's very introverted. Yes. When you look back before you had this relationship, 
what was do you notice a change in in the dynamic of your household between you two and your relationship from being maybe you know i think when i look at my relationship my relationship is me my wife and god right yes and so you had this relationship pre-god and now when you say all right we're going to bring god into this relationship how does that look differently it, it kind of flips everything around for the whole family, even, even my kids, because he's, my husband is the head of the household. Mm-hmm. He is the man of our house, and I'm his wife. And it's God, my husband, myself, and then my kids. Well, of course, my kids are like, what? Why are we last? We're last? <laughs> You're like, no, everybody else out there is after you. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's been interesting to have that change in dyna- dynamics and. Well, you know, it was funny. I had a buddy that told his kids the same thing, and their answer was, "So if the house is burning down, you can get everybody else first. <laughs> and you know what his answer was? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. That's hilarious. So, but yeah, you know, and I think that that's it's so critical that we we do know that you know yes. and. Um, just being able to understand that God built that relationship for us. Yes. You know, and, and to see that love and compassion grow within your spouse. Yes. And, you know, there's, there's no greater way to minister to a man than have a godly woman in front of him, right? And I like how you said that your husband is the head of the household. That is biblical, right? Yes, it is. I know that it makes some people uncomfortable. Um, But from a man's perspective, all right, so I might be the head of my household, but my job is to love my wife like Christ loved the church, right? So what does that mean? That means that I don't set expectations. That means that I approach it with love and tenderness and compassion. That doesn't mean that I'm an authoritarian. That doesn't mean that I'm demanding and, and condemning, right? I need to make sure that, and I should probably do a better job. If, if my wife listens, she's going to go, why don't you do it more? <laughs> but, you know, to approach it with that idea of, of service. And, yes. and my job as the head of the household and the man of the house is to make sure that my family is cared for and loved. And that's why sometimes I struggle when people say, well, a man doesn't have to leave the house. Well, you know what? There's a lot of burden on that. There's a lot of responsibility on us to be the spiritual leaders of the house, to try to do those things. And, you know, it's a two-way street, you know? It is a two-way street. And there's times, whether it be illness or workload stress that the husband can't lead as he should and he needs a wife that's going to help him fulfill that leadership in his family and that's you know that's what i'm you know a strong christian woman will keep every man (laughs) where they need to be you know because when i notice in my life when i have faltered and i look to my wife and she is standing there pointing to christ Yes. What, what else can I do? All I can do is go, you're right, you know, because 
that's, that's what I need to do more of, you know. And so, My husband and I, before I came here this afternoon, we were dancing in our living room. Yeah. And my daughter was watching us, our youngest, Caitlin, and tears are rolling down her cheeks. And I'm like, yes. I want her to see the love between her parents. Yeah. And to know what love looks like. You know, and because that is something that is not well modeled. Correct. You know, our ideas of love that society shows us in movies and videos and songs, those aren't songs and, and depictions of a positive, God-loving mm -mm. sense of love. Those are hedonistic, rough, mean, you know, they're, they're not what I want my boys to grow up and, and think about as this is how you approach a woman, this is how you treat a woman. No, like, I would love them for them to be slow dancing in their living room by themselves and just not a care in the world. Yeah. You know, and, and that's something, you know, I don't know that me and my wife are big dancers, but, you know, my kids always see us hug and kiss and, and show affection for each other. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, like, I'll come home from work and I'll give my wife this big hug, right? And, and she always she tells me there's a certain amount of time that I'm supposed to hug that makes me forget about everything. I think it's 20 seconds before the endorphins kick in and yeah. you, you're now a happy person. You know what, I think it's gonna take more than 20 seconds most of the time. But so, you know, you, you hug each other for a long time and, and my boys will come and they'll want in on it. And you know, and I'm like, all right, well, but you know what, sometimes dad just wants his own hug from his mom, go yeah. away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That was a rule in our house. Mom got the first hug, and the girls didn't interrupt. Dad would get to them after Mom got the hug. Yeah. Mom got the first hug. Mom got Dad's first attention when Dad got home. Yeah. And I, I think that's very important to, sh to teach a priority in relationship in your marriage, because otherwise you're fighting yeah. for attention, and then no one's really getting attention. Everybody's fighting for it. And then jealousy and anger comes into the picture and it's not too pretty anymore. Thinking back on, you know, being a, a younger man, uh, showing affection and love in, in a dating style relationship, um, you know, I, I don't think that I treated women as well as I should have. I think that women accepted a poor level of treatment that they should not have. But I also don't think that that was modeled for me. And, and my hope, you know, in, in thinking about this is that your girls will grow up and know how they're supposed to be treated. So when, you know, a guy comes around and doesn't treat them with that level of affection, they can understand this probably isn't going to be the place for me, you know. If yeah. if if I need this honest type of love, I'm not going to get it here because that's not what he's showing me. Because he's because he's taking me to a dinner mm -hmm. or because whatever else he spent some time with me. That's not love. That's not 
that's not a a honest type of type of feeling that you want to project. So yeah, I think it's so neat that you guys do do model that though. And so now that the girls are getting older. Do you see your relationship starting to occur and happen? Is that actually relay over? Yeah. Um, I would have to say, yeah. Amanda is engaged. All right. Um, her fiance is very much her dad. He's an introvert, like her dad. Um, yeah. but he definitely shows affection towards her, and shows love towards her, so. and helps to balance her. Yeah. Well, and that's. You know the balance idea and, and I'd be interested in your idea about it I always refer to my relationship as a team right mm -hmm. because as much as we have some similarities we're very different in yes. a lot of ways either and and that compensates for my iniquity sometimes yes and so I mean do you find that in your relationship too where you guys you're enough alike that you can stand each other but then you complement each other and bring it the fullness into that yes so most definitely. I love it. I think that sounds... I know um, when Tim and I first got together, I had been married before, as I said, and it was um, a very physically abusive relationship. He drank a lot. And so Tim asked me to marry him, and I said, yes, if you drink, I leave. If you hit me, I kill you. Yeah. So it was, it was a joke. You, you he says, we, can't have, we cannot have sharp knives because I might use one. <laughs> Yeah, you, you set the you set the ground rules early in that relationship. Yes. Yeah. But you know, and and I think that, you know, I had rules. You know, when when I met my wife, I was a recent non-smoker, and she has had bouts with cancer in her family, mm -hmm. and you know enough that it's drastically impacted her her life, and she pretty much told me. I will not be with somebody who uses tobacco. I mean, as, as, as you know, abuse and, and mm -hmm. alcohol abuse and those things are different, but you know what? We had a ground rule, you know? I will not be with somebody. So if it is important for me to maintain that relationship, I need to learn discipline in other aspects of my life, right? Yes. Because those are those expectations. And I think that in seeing younger people get married, you know, I feel that we were fortunate we got married a little later in life. Um, and, and probably you with your second marriage, you mm -hmm. knew more of what you needed in life, right? Yes. And you're a little more mature, a little bit, a little bit more. And so, but a lot of times when I see these younger people getting married, they don't know what the expectations should be, right? They don't, and you know, it goes back to that modeling somewhat, but the idea that when you can set an expectation for your spouse to meet. Yes. I need, me personally, I need those expectations. They keep me, yes. they keep me directed and steered. And you know what? And, and sometimes when I don't meet those expectations, I get a little note and, and I get reminded, yes. you let me down. They're, I would rather you yell at me and scream and throw a knife at me than say, <laughs> you let me down and you disappointed me. Yes. Because those are devastating. I never want to hear them. And, you know, I, I laugh because I keep, I have a couple notes that I have from my wife where, you know, she's spelled out, 
here's, here's the things that are going on right now, and here's the things that I needed from you, and here's the things that you didn't have. Which sounds maybe harsh. No, it's not harsh at all. I, My husband, I save them. I keep yes, them so that I can yes. read them later. My husband and I, we try to go away every year for anniversary or around that date. And we make a list of what our partner has done that we don't like. The things that we want to see changed over the next year. And then we also write a list of the things that we've seen improvement on. And we share that with each other. On your anniversary? On our anniversary. Oh, yes. man, I don't want to do that. I just yeah. want to have a happy night where maybe we have a cocktail <laughs> and, you know, enjoy company. I don't want to talk about the negative parts. But there's positive maybe, in there, too. Maybe you six add months. in the goods. Yes, yeah, six on months. On the six-month anniversary. So when we're like, you know, at seven and a half years... Because like there's a couple of restaurants that'll give you your half birthday thing. Yeah, yeah. We use that as our half anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that that's that's helped us grow each other. I'm sure you know, but that's especially I think for people who are uncomfortable. Sometimes I'm uncomfortable. I think my wife might be more comfortable with it than I am. I am a person who sees. You can tell me that you didn't like something that I did, and I will hear you hate everything that I have ever done, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that's how I work. And so for me sometimes, I think my wife has figured out how to approach it in a way that is more productive other than to, so that I don't see it as an attack. Um, but I struggle sometimes at hearing straight to the point here are the things that I need you to work on for me because, you know, it's hard for me. And, and I know that I'm going to have a bad day, right? So that's why I say, oh, my, not on my anniversary. <laughs> because I know, you know, I used to, when I met my wife, I never really liked birthdays. For whatever reason, on my birthday is the day that I contemplated all of my downfalls for the year, right? Whether I set a goal that I didn't meet, and I could have been really close, and I could have had a hundred things that went fantastic for me all year, but one or two things that I didn't accomplish. I will focus on those one or two things that I didn't accomplish all day long, and I will have a horrible day. And that's the way my birthdays almost always were, until I had kids, and now it's fun to celebrate Dad's birthday. But the idea of a great birthday for me was to sit in my room by myself and watch movies. like. You know what? If you want to be a blessing to me, bring me food. You know, like, I don't want a gift. I don't want it. I just want to be alone because I, I just, my mind always goes to that. You're not good enough. You know, as much as we talk about it and it's, it's hard. I still slip backwards sometimes, right? And I mean, maybe not good enough isn't the thing, but like, you know, if I set a, a a task I want to accomplish that task and if I didn't need it I'm not happy with myself and so you know but yeah maybe maybe I need to bring in some positive and negative reinforcements on ours you know but yeah I mean yeah. that would be I think for especially somebody who maybe doesn't have I mean we have a little bit of that going on where we can talk back and forth openly about things but for somebody who maybe needs some structure in that relationship 
I imagine that would be an uncomfortable situation the first time people kind of sit down and yes. lay that out. Because I know it was for us, but I needed it. Um, weekend to Remember, have you ever heard of that? I have never been to it, but actually last year when I was here at First West, there was a gentleman that I spoke with who um, helped facilitate some of the, the Weekend to Remember stuff. So did you guys? Um, yeah, we've done a few of them. Did you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now what, what has been your main experience with, with the Weekend to Remember? I mean, you kind of, you, for people who don't know, you go and you learn about relationship, right? Like in you biblical, biblical relationship, biblical relationships. Yes. Um, I think it's helped us to be more honest and open with each other. Because if I, if I've got a problem with him and I'm not telling him what that is, it's going to come out in how I treat him. And, and so what did, did that do for you guys in your relationship? Did it just help knit that even, even tighter? Yes. Yeah. And then have you been able to use that to bleed into other people's relationships and figure out how to help facilitate them in growing their relationship? Or is that kind of, I mean, I think you said that you did uh, mainly, your small group was just women, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. So have you guys done anything where you've worked with other marriages or relationships to help strengthen those? We have not yet. Okay. Um, I think it would be something that we would have a lot to offer. We've gone through a lot of different Absolutely. areas with our, um, you know, a stepmom to the adopted mom, foster parents, the infertility. There's, there's a lot of life happenings in our marriage that we could share with other people. Yeah, so I was the, the a weekend to remember the gentleman that I met here was Steve Gagnon. Mm -hmm. And and we were fortunate enough to be able to talk with him last year. And I mean he you know he talked for quite a long time. I mean not for the whole the whole time frame, but just on how I, I remember it was shocking to me because he was the first one who ever like publicly gave out his phone number on the show and was like, if you need help with the relationship, just call me. Here's my phone number. And I was like, I remember when we sat down, I was like, do you want me to edit out your phone number? Nope. Keep it in there. Like, all right, buddy. I don't know what's going to happen, but you know, and just to be so willing to open yourself up to the needs of others. And I think that that comes back to this church mm -hmm. and how they've been so open and accommodating to me and open and accommodating to the community and supportive of its congregation. I mean, yes. I just, if you can't tell, I really appreciate you guys here. So, well, thank you. We appreciate you being um, here. We should probably get this thing wrapped up one of these days. Um, before we do, though, if there's somebody else struggling with forgiveness, with acceptance of themselves, and, and those things that we kind of discussed struggling, would you just give them just the quick cliff notes? What is the best way for them to learn forgiveness or how to just keep moving forward in life and loving God while they do it? Connecting God's Word, reading reading God's words. Um, I would say that Second Corinthians would be a favorite book 
for me to read. Um, connecting with another Christian, connecting with someone that you trust to give you advice on scripture and books that you can read to get through this, someone that you trust to pray with you and walk through this. God did not make us to walk through anything alone. And you're never alone. God is always with you, but it's also important to have a good spiritual buddy to help you yeah. overcome these things and to be able to grow spiritually in God's Word and find the forgiveness within yourself. And that's huge too. Not only does God forgive you, you forgive yourself. And, and that's where we see joy and yes. flourish and life come to be, right? Yes. So, well, hey, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time with us. It was wonderful meeting you and hearing from where you've come to where you are now. And I couldn't, I couldn't have asked for, for more. So well, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. We'll wrap this thing up and we'll get out. So, you are welcome. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed hearing Carol's story. I think she shows us such a great example of how grace and love and compassion and all of those things that surround us are gifts from God. I hope that you have a great week. I hope that you can take some of those ideas, import them into your life. And uh, with that, be blessed.